Welcome back to the Reading and Writing Podcast. My guest today is Samuel Delgado, author of the new novel, Jackson James, A Journey Through Time. Samuel, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. I'm honored. Sure. Well, if someone listening hasn't yet heard about your novel, Jackson James, A Journey Through Time, how would you describe the novel? Yeah, it's a uh, coming of age story and it's about time travel. So it kind of mixes those two genres together. Uh, I like to call it um, Back to the Future meets It's a Wonderful Life uh, because it has both those elements to it where you have this young boy and he's coming of age and he's falling in love. And he also goes through this sort of supernatural experience like you see in It's a Wonderful Life with George Bailey. Um, and he comes back on the other side with this new appreciation for life. So it's a, kind of a redemptive story as well. And do you remember the original idea or impetus that led you to write Jackson James, A Journey Through Time? Yeah, absolutely. So I actually based the the entire story off of an interview that I heard on Coast to Coast AM. I don't know if you're familiar with that uh, radio program, um, but they cover all sorts of uh, you know supernatural, paranormal type uh, topics, and time travel is one of those. And so I actually listened to an interview uh, from one of their archives, um, from their host, uh, back in the art bell days. Mm-hmm. And there was a, a newspaper article that was sent to art bell, the host at the time. And it was about a boy that got arrested for stealing. Well, he was building a time machine and he had six transformers in his house. <laughs> he was just building the whole thing in his living room. <laughs> um, and so art bell actually contacted this, this boy and had him on his show and i think he was young uh, maybe he he'd just graduated high school and um he was just some some nerdy kid who kind of stumbled upon um what what he you know described as time travel um in some science experiment and so he actually needed more energy and stole the <laughs> he stole the transformers to do it and i was so compelled by the story i think he came back on and said that he was actually sending gerbils through um, because I think the first time he was on the show, a bunch of callers came, uh, he gave his phone number out. So a bunch of callers, um, actually donated, uh, a bunch of money and he got a warehouse. And so he actually built this machine. And I think on a third program, um, with Art Bell, I think Art Bell did a different show after he left coast to coast. Um, he actually, he claimed to have traveled two years into the future and, and that was it. He was just stuck in the future. And I was so compelled by that story. Um, you know, whether it's just fiction or, or, or whether you believe it, I, I was so compelled. I thought it was such a good story, um, that I basically just had to write this book. So, um, that's, that was the, the idea. And so I basically took that. And like I said, I put some elements, um, of just, you know, normal coming of age, put myself in the story and, and, you know, I didn't want, uh, to write a story of someone that's stuck in the future, but that concept, um, was was I think a really good conflict for the for the novel, and so you'll read it and you'll kind of figure out, uh, okay, he's stuck in the future. How does he get back? Um, and of course, like I said, he comes out back on the other side with a, a new appreciation for life. Sure, but that was the idea. Yeah. And was this the first novel you had written? This is actually the second novel I've written. It's the first I've published. So I've, I've written a I wrote a novel before, and it just I never quite got to that publishing stage i basically decided not to pursue publishing anymore and so i actually learned a lot through that process and felt like um 
was able to write this book because I had learned from my mistakes, I guess, uh, writing the first. And, and what do you feel like your mistakes were with your first one? I think I went too lofty. I, I wanted to write a trilogy. And so I ended up writing basically what would have been the, like the prequel to, to the main story. Um, and it was uh, just a really, I think I, I took on more than I, um, a bit off more than I could chew, I think, a, a, as a first-time author. And one of the, the big things that I, I walked away writing the second novel was I decided to write it in first person. Um, the first novel, I wrote it in third person. And I felt like the first person voice was just much more natural for me and easier for me to actually do. Um, and then I actually wrote a much more familiar setting. The first novel I did was like a dystopian sci-fi type mm -hmm. setting. And so it was, this story was a lot, much more grounded and rooted in a world that I know. And so I think those two elements, I think, are, are what I learned and what helped make this a, a, a better book, I think. That's great. Well, are you writing a new novel now? I've written a children's book, and so I'm actually working on getting that illustrated. Um, and I have ideas for novels, um, but right now I'm just kind of working on promoting this one. Sure. Well, uh, what was your process when you were working on this novel? Did you write an extensive outline before you started writing, or was it more just um, kind of diving in the narrative and seeing where it led you? I did write um, an extensive outline, um, and that was part of me writing that first book. Um, I learned a lot through that process, and I wrote an outline for it as well, um, but I basically was able to kind of figure out how to write like a three-act structure, mm -hmm. and that was, I mean, my outline wasn't completely, completely detailed down to every paragraph, but it sure. was detailed to where I knew what the first act, the second act, and, and third act was going to look like. That's kind of where I started. And then from there, I could write an outline per chapter. So I knew I would have, you know, a point in the story I would need to get to. And so I kind of mapped out, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll take maybe five chapters to get there. Gotcha. Um, and hold on. I'm, I'm, I hope you I'm, can edit this out, but there's a... There's an announcement. I don't want that sure. to make the final recording, but um, I'll just pick where I left off. But yep. so I knew I had to have a certain amount of chapters to get to that point. And so I would look at a chapter and say, okay, where do I want to go with this chapter? What do I need to write? And that was basically my process. Gotcha. And so given your experience with that first, as you said, a trilogy that didn't really get completed for, for the reasons that you outlined and and then um, your novel that you have published now, uh, what writing advice would you offer for listeners who are working on their own stories or novels? Yeah. So one, one piece of advice that I got a lot while I was writing the first novel and I kind of just dived in. I mean, I, I love fiction and I had a, an idea and I can't remember what the, the initial spark was for me writing that first novel, but I kind of got into it. You know, I was, creative and just wanted just to do it basically for fun and i realized that well if i'm going to write a book i want it to be good i want it to be readable and so um you know i i think i picked up writing fiction for dummies and that was actually super helpful mm -hmm. um 
it just had some very practical advice. And of course, I looked up and, and Googled and talked to people that wrote and things like that. So one one piece of advice I got was just make sure you know your characters. I know for me, anytime I'm either watching or reading fiction, if I'm not invested in the characters, then I really have no story. Um, so one thing that I, that's what I did for the first book. And in this book, I basically grounded each one of my characters in, in someone I knew. So really Jackson James is kind of an exaggerated version of me. And that helped me write that character. I knew exactly who this person was, what he was thinking, what he would do, how he would react. And then I based the, you know, the other characters in the story off of people I knew. So once again, I knew how they would react and it just made it such an easier process if I, I grounded that in, in people I knew. And then I also did the same thing with the setting. I put them in familiar settings. So I knew it, you know, it came, came across more genuine in that way. Sure. Um, and that was the second piece of advice that I got, which is write what you know. And I think that's where I went to lofty with the first one. And I think you can still go lofty. You can still do like, a, I mean, obviously this has got time travel in it. So there's, there's a lot of fantasy um, sci-fi in there, but it is grounded in, in reality and in, in, a, in a setting in a world that I know. And I think you can do that with any genre, um, especially with starting with the characters. Well, so that would what, be my advice. Sure. What novels have you read recently that you enjoyed? I mostly watch a lot of fiction. So this this novel, actually, the reason why I started listening to the interviews on Coast to Coast on Time Travel is because I watched a series on Netflix called Dark. Um, and I, I highly recommend that for anyone that's into time travel. It's, it's the most intricate thing I've ever seen in that genre, whether movie or TV show. Um, I was so compelled after watching this series because it was so rooted in quantum physics that it really, really, really made you think. And this was the series that you would meet a character in one time and then you would see that same, the older version of that character um, in a later time. And then you would meet a younger version of that character in an earlier time. And so there was probably about like 20 characters. And then there was maybe like, I don't know, five different time periods that they traveled. So it's extremely complicated. Uh, and that's what really kind of inspired me to look more into time travel. And of course, you'll, you know, it's kind of fun. You'll hear um, accounts of, you know, real life time travelers. And of course, you know, you can buy into that or not. But that one account that I heard was so compelling. Uh, it made me write, uh, made me want to read the, the book. But, um, you know, time travel in general is is a is the genre I like. Um, I read mostly nonfiction, um, you know. But as far as fiction, that was one that I would say was instrumental in, in into me actually writing this book. Well, where can people find you online if they'd like to learn more about you and your novel Jackson James: A Journey Through Time? Sure. Um, Amazon has the book now in a Kindle paperback, hardback and an audiobook. And if you look at the author page, there's an email on my author page. You, you can get in touch with me directly that way. That'd be probably be the best way to do it. That's great. Well, again, we've been speaking with Samuel Delgado, author of the new, <laughs> excuse me, uh, author of the new novel, Jackson James, A Journey Through Time. The novel is available now, so go buy a copy. And Samuel, thanks for doing this interview. Absolutely. Thanks for having me out great. Thanks a lot. Now, stay tuned as Samuel Delgado reads from his novel, Jackson James, A Journey Through Time. Chapter 1. 
A Night to Remember This is my story of how I time traveled, but it isn't a story about time travel. It's my story, my journey. You ever think about what you would have done differently if you could go back to the past or how much better your life would be if you would have made a different choice? The truth is, you can't change the past. All you have and will ever have is now. It cost me a lot to learn that lesson, but I now understand that the cliches are true. Hindsight is twenty-twenty, and you never know what you got till it's gone. To let you know how I got here, I gotta take you back to 2003, when crunk music was in and George W. Bush was president. Not that I paid any attention to any of that stuff. I had other priorities. You got this last one, baby, Dylan Belts. I've closed out our last two games, and I'm not about to screw this up. We may not fit in with the football players upstairs, but down here in the basement, we are gods. And I'll be damned if someone comes down to our domain and takes over our beer pong table. I focus on my target. One last cup. I lean forward and pow, let's go, baby, I yell. Dylan and I high-five like we expected the ball to go in because, let's be honest, we did. I mean, do you guys practice? What the hell? Michael Madman Markham groans as he slowly walks off in shame. He and Maddie never stood a chance. Dylan and I may not practice, but we've played enough games down here in his basement that we could probably start a serious hustle. Well, how about some Mario Kart? I asked Dylan since there is no one else who dares to play us again. It's the usual crowd down here again, and I need a break anyway. Dylan looks at me reassuringly, nodding in agreement. You know it, man. Before we can even make it to the couch, I hear Jillian Carmichael exclaim, Charlotte, get your sweet, perfect round booty down here. She locks eyes with me, which really throws me off because I don't think I've ever seen this girl outside of third period computer programming before. Jackson James Dean, don't you dare walk away from that table. Charlotte and I are about to show you how it is done, she projects with all the confidence in the world. Is that you or the booze talking? You know we just ran back five straight, right? You do know whose basement you just entered, right? I snicker. Oh my gosh, you and Dylan are so gay for each other. Please, I got skills, she scoffs unfazed. Next thing I know, Charlotte peeks her head from around the bottom of the stairs. My heart drops. Immediately, I dial up my cool a million degrees. I can't believe she's actually at Dylan's house right now. Jillian announces, there she is. The debutante has come to grace us with her presence. Took you long enough, queen. Come on. We're about to show these boys how to play some beer pong. Charlotte rolls her eyes and steps forward to accept the challenge. Is this seriously why you yelled at me? I should have known. I was sure someone had died, Charlotte teases affectionately, poking fun at Jillian. Dylan and I look at each other, thinking, what the hell is going on right now? But of course, go with it, knowing this chance won't come along again. Jillian will talk to just about anybody but I have never even spoken a word to Charlotte Stone, and now I'm about to play her in beer pong like we are friends. Dylan looks over at her and inquires, Are you sure your boyfriend won't mind? She looks at him in disgust. Are you kidding me? I don't think he even noticed that I came down here. I'm sure he'll be upstairs watching football highlights until morning, she rants. Not daring to comment, Dylan just counters, Alrighty then, let's do it. Dylan is the great equalizer, fitting in with any crowd. I wouldn't know anyone at this party if it weren't for him. He has a way of making everyone feel like they are his best friend. You know Jackson, right? He asks, making sure not to leave me hanging. 
He knows full well that I know who she is, and that I've never spoken a word to her in my life. Of course, you're the one rapping on Dylan's songs, right? She asks. I love it when people know me for my raps. I really only do it for fun. Dylan is the one who knows what he's doing, but I'll take all the credit I can get. Yeah, that's me. I pronounce like it's no big deal, but of course it is a big deal. Not only does she know me, she also knows me as a rapper. I didn't know you heard any of our stuff. She excitedly raves, Oh yeah, Jill plays your CD all the time. You guys are actually pretty good. We were just listening to it tonight on the way here. I'm smiling, trying to hide the fact that I'm freaking out inside. This is the hottest girl in school, talking about my music like I'm some rap star. Thanks, we are actually working on some new stuff. Way better than our last album. I declare as if I'm being interviewed for Rolling Stone or something. Oh, cool. We definitely want to hear it, she says, looking over at Jillian. We are total fans. Immediately, Jillian affirms, Oh, she is a huge fan of yours. You're going to need to burn her a CD tonight. Charlotte's blushing now. She hits Jillian on the shoulder and objects, Oh my god, you are so stupid. Let's just play already. Dylan and I just look at each other like we've made it big time. We live for this. So, you know we are pretty good, right? Dylan boasts. I don't want to brag, but you guys don't stand a chance against us. Jillian cuts him off and shouts, You think you're the only one who's ever played beer pong before, Mr. Big Shot Rapper? Want to bet on it? I interject, Oh, for sure. Let's do that. If we win, you guys have to rap for us. Charlotte nervously laughs. Oh, I cannot do that, she affirms. I probe. And why is that? She cries. I'm not embarrassing myself in front of you guys. Then Jillian gushes. Oh, we won't have to worry about that. Because when we win, you guys are going to have to put us in one of your songs. Dylan clarifies. Like, you want us to rap a song about you guys? Charlotte smiles back at Jillian and retorts. Exactly like that. I look back at Dylan and proudly affirm. Deal. That's a win-win as far as I'm concerned. Ladies first, Charlotte jests with all her charm. And to all of our surprise, she sinks her first shot, smiling at all of us with her chin in the air like she knows a dirty little secret that we are both just dying to know.